Hey guys, welcome. Hey Jock, hey Anthony, can you hear me? Froze there though. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. Well, hopefully I don't freeze. But uh, as you know, I am in Bali, Indonesia. I've been here for about a week now. Um, got about three weeks left. It is an interesting country. <laughs> um, have you guys, either of you guys been? I've Not, never been to Bali, no. So, <laughs> no, no, I haven't. But I'm going to go to a beach um, over around Uluwatu is, is kind of a good break, apparently. But uh, the primary mode of transport here is a scooter. Um, the roads are extremely, extremely narrow. And um, it's like you're in an F1 race. So for, I'm, I'm in Ubud now. Uh, coming from Menjui, and um, it's a 50-minute drive, so five zero minutes. And it was like I was in an F1 race for the entire time. It is absolutely maniacal. I've never experienced anything like it. So um, beautiful country, friendly people. Uh, the food is, is fantastic, whether you're eating local cuisine or you're eating, um, you know, stuff that uh, – that they the locals make, but but is is more catered towards um, like a Mexican type dish or you know uh, a Japanese dish or anything like that. It's all very well prepared and and um, quite enjoyable and, and very affordable. That's for sure. But yeah, it's good. What's happening? You're, uh, I guess you're, you're going to get fat over there, bud. Nope, <laughs> nope. I just <laughs> no, lost. Not. Um, you back in nope. the gym yet or what? No, I'm not. So, no. um, I'm still healing that neck. I don't know if, if, uh, Jack told you Anthony, but I crashed water skiing pretty hard early in the year and I pinched a nerve in my neck, which refers down to my arm. So, Ooh. um, I haven't been able to lift at all. I'm going on 12 weeks, but I finally just in the past, call it 10 days. I have full, full grip now. Um, which I hadn't, I hadn't, I wasn't able to grip anything. Like I would, I would start to press and this right arm would just die. So anyways, well, yeah, <laughs> I'm doing the physio, man. That's so it. That's I, all I can do. Yeah. So I, um, I've had, um, herniated discs in my neck. So I've dealt with that. It's horrific. Oh, yeah. It worked great for me. I have, um, a little traction unit yep. um, that I'd use and, um, a little bit of extension in my neck. And then yeah. the other thing that I did was I would ice my neck in the evenings and that seemed to work the best nice. just to reduce that inflammation. Yeah. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm definitely doing traction every day and then I've got a pretty, pretty solid physio good. that's got me on a decent regime to get it all, all good. But I'm using, uh, anything I can do to maintain the muscle tone in my pack. Um, I've got a good tens machine here. The, the power dot. You heard it here first, Power Dot. You can sponsor our podcast. <laughs> but it's a fantastic machine. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. It's it's good. But yeah. um, what's on the agenda today, Jack? What are we talking about? We're we're talking about my favorite topic: coffee. Nice. I need I'm another one, mine. actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel jealous. I need another one. But uh, yeah, we're going to talk about um, study came out recently 
that compared uh, drinking coffee to just straight caffeine, like caffeine pill or something. And it uh, turns out there's a pretty interesting difference between the two. So maybe I'll, I'll turn it over to Dr. C and he can tell us about it. Sure. sure. So Let's yeah, go. this was an interesting study you sent me, Jack. And um, it was looking at the conduction in the brain um, with caffeine versus um, coffee, which also had caffeine in it. And what it showed was that, you know, the, the areas that we normally expect to kind of light up um, will in regards to, you know, you know, getting us alert and getting us ready to do things. What it did show was that the coffee portion, but not the caffeine portion, increased working memory and kind of that goal-directed behavior. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, I wish I would have known all of the benefits of coffee when I was in medical school and residency because I did not drink any in medical school and residency because <laughs> I thought it was so bad because of all the stuff, you know, that I read early on. I wasn't looking at clinical studies. It was just kind of the, the public, you know, view of, of caffeine and everything else. Um, but now that I that I know how beneficial it is, it's like, man, I wish I would have. I wish I would have drank it when I was in the medical school so, residency. So to distill that yeah, down. Yeah, there's and... so many. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying, so to distill that down. So um, just caffeine on its own isn't going to give you the lift. There's more to it around uh, the whole ritual with with coffee, the the smell, the taste. the Absolutely. Uh, ah, that's interesting. That's interesting. So all of the all of the guys that are yeah. popping caffeine pre-performance and stuff like that might not be seeing the same kind of benefits or yeah ab absolutely so um, coffee is loaded with a bunch of incredible ingredients you know it's it's a mixture of antioxidants and minerals and vitamins and and this all benefits us in a way that you know again I never knew about um, during um, medical school. Or even residency, for that matter, because I just didn't, I didn't, one, I didn't have time to look at studies. Yeah. Um, I was so busy. But, but there, there's incredible, you know, incredible substances that are in coffee that protect the brain, that that are antioxidants, that are anti-inflammatories, um, and you know, these are just great things to help promote brain health, to promote that antioxidant capacity. Um, and to, you know, cognitively keep us on track as we get older. Well, what I thought was interesting was like caffeine alone is it's going to get you jacked up and give you like that boost. Um, it's going to give you that like thrust of energy uh, and also probably jitters, but it won't give you that extra like thinking power was what I took away from what I read. So like, yeah, caffeine will get you jacked up, but the coffee experience is what's going to help you perform better mentally. Right, exactly. I agree with you 100%. I mean, caffeine has its benefits. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, um, you know, what caffeine does is there's a neurohormone in our brain um, called adenosine, and adenosine has a tendency to kind of slow stuff down. And what caffeine does is it binds to that adenosine receptor and it, it makes caffeine, it makes the adenosine not able to, to bind to it. And so what happens is instead of everything slowing down, it actually speeds up the neurons and speeds up the firing. Um, and then that process can also um, trigger your adrenal glands to kick up some of the adrenaline hormones, um, you know, like epinephrine and also dopamine. 
And so that's that kind of, you know, why some people feel really, really jittery. And as we, we spoke previously, um, you know, some people can metabolize caffeine really, really quickly in their body and they can drink a lot of coffee and don't have problems. Other people who are very slow metabolizers, just a little bit of caffeine makes them feel jittery. And if, and if they have anything past like 10 o'clock in the morning, they're not going to sleep that evening. Yeah, I, I can I can have a coffee and then have a nap. Like it just relaxes me. So <laughs> I'm, I, I'm the same way. I Thank am goodness. not. I am that opposite guy. I don't. I have the amount that I take in the morning, and, and you know, it's usually pretty large cup. But after you know, ten o'clock, that's it. I'm not. I'm not having any coffee after that. But, um, is there? Is there? Low metabolizer. Know, yeah. Yeah, in so many ways. <laughs> is there a, a recommended dosage or anything like that? Is it just like we're talking about here where it's, you know, hey, you kind of do what works for you individually, you know, and, and, and your own metabolism? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely would tell you that, um, you know, it, if we're looking at clinical studies, um, there was a study that looked at like 670 um uh, men over like a 10 year time period that were drinking anywhere from two to three cups of coffee per day. And it showed uh, improvement in cognitive function and like less decline as they got older. Um, and so I think where most of the studies are kind of lying is somewhere between 300 and under 400 milligrams of caffeine per day. And that would be in someone that is a normal or a fast metabolizer. If you're a slow metabolizer, I don't think you need that much. And I really think it's not the caffeine that's the issue. I think it's the other antioxidants that are in coffee. So there are there are several different um, antioxidants and anti-inflammatory compounds. Um, you know, the the big the the, the most um, that's in coffee is um, chlorogenic acid, which is this incredible anti-inflammatory antioxidant, and it increases the antioxidant capacity in the brain. Um, you know, it's been shown to help reduce um, neuronal damage. Um, so, you know, caffeic acid and chlorogenic acid are, are great anti-inflammatories. Um, there's also um, something called the diterpenes, which is, you know, if you ever made a cup of coffee and you see a little bit of oil in it, and, and again, depending on how you make it, but the diterpenes are, are also very, very beneficial antioxidant, um, anti-inflammatory. And as, as you know, as we, as we, um, increase those antioxidants in our body, it helps to reduce the damage that occurs at that, at that level of the cell and the brain and the mitochondria, and it keeps the cells and the neurons functioning at a, at a high level. Um, the last antioxidant that, that's been uh, studied is called uh, trigonellin, and that also has very protective anti-inflammatory effects, and it's been shown to protect the beta amyloid, which um, is one of the main things that gets affected in Alzheimer's disease. So coffee has these incredible benefits outside of caffeine. And, um, and so that's, you know, that's where the benefits come in is that there's incredible antioxidants in coffee and minerals and vitamins. Um, it's just the caffeine that limits, you know, the ability for us to take, you know, and get more of that into our systems. Interesting. Interesting. We know like through the process of developing pure neuro, we know that, um, one of the biggest factors affecting brain health is the mitochondria in the brain and that they're, every neuron has millions of mitochondria because they're so energy um, dependent. Uh, 
you and I talked about this for, before, all those antioxidants that you're getting through coffee and other foods and whatever else you're taking, those are protecting the mitochondria as well, aren't they? Correct. Yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the core of our health is really how healthy are your mitochondria as we get older. And, you know, after the age of 30, we'll see anywhere from an eight to 10% drop in mitochondrial number in our bodies. And, you know, the brain and heart being, you know, the two organs that have the highest number, we'll see those effects um, pretty dramatically, especially in the brain, because, you know, mitochondria is producing energy and our neurons are all, you know, energy based. It's, it's electricity essentially. And so if we get just even a small drop off of the capability of those cells to produce that energy, that cognitive function slows down. You know, you get a little, little more forgetful um, and you think, oh, I'm just, I'm just getting older. That's kind of the norm. And I think that's what we've all been conditioned to accept instead of trying to do something about it. Um, What, are there any measures like, can, can you measure somebody's mitochondrial health in any way? Like, do you have tests for that? You know, it's not easy. Um, There are tests that, that can, um, uh, that, that kind of look at it. Um, but it's not, it's not an easy thing to do right now, but there are, there are some things and they're expensive and they're, you know, they're in the, uh, academia world, um, in regards to doing, it's not like I can go down to the local lab and say, Hey, let's go ahead and get a mitochondrial activity test for my mm-hmm. system. Um, but I think that's coming. I think it's going to be probably more in the next couple of years because there's such a focus on aging. There's such a focus on mitochondrial health that I think that, it's going it, to, you know, we're going to start seeing some of that, um, you know, uh, in, in the near future. So currently, are you just measuring that indirectly through symptoms, um, through other kinds of tests? Like how, how, how do you come to the conclusion when you're with a patient that this could be the problem that they're dealing with? Um, so it's simple. Um, there's, at the end of the day, every single disease that we have, so every neural disease you can think of from dementia to ADD, um, metabolic disorders like diabetes, heart disease, any disease at the core of its process is some form of mitochondrial dysfunction, even cancers. So it's not hard to say, well, you've got some mitochondrial dysfunction if you feel tired, if you're having fatigue, if you're inflamed, um, because we know that affects all of that. So mm-hmm. um, I don't necessarily need to have a test to say, oh, we need to do this. I know that if I can get someone's health of their cells improved through improving mitochondrial function, you know, through everything from diet and exercise um, to, um, you know, nutrients that will promote new healthy mitochondria um, and reducing things like inflammation in the body, then I know that I'm on the right path. And clinically, um, I know it because people feel better, right? So I don't necessarily need a test because I know at the core that's, you know, the health of our cells is the most important thing. And if we focus on how to improve that, it makes life just much better, you know, with the quality of our life, um, our energy, the ability to do the things that we want to do as we get older uh, becomes much easier because we've got these healthy, vibrant mitochondria in our cells. And coffee helps with that. (laughs) <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Did you does. see there, there was a study, um, I want to say like a couple months ago, probably, 
Um, and it kind of backs up what you said about how you make coffee and like seeing the oils and, and whatnot in it. I think they said uh, espresso and French press were the two best ways to make coffee. And I assume it's because you get more of those oils and those um, antioxidant acids that you were talking about. Is that yeah, what you think so too? Yeah. yeah, so the espresso and the French press, you're going to see more oil in there. And the oils are really the diterpenes. And, okay. um, and again, they have an anti-inflammatory kind of antioxidant effect in the cells. The only, the only kind of caveat with the diterpenes in the oil is that the studies have shown that the LDL cholesterol increases a little bit, which is interesting because LDL typically only comes from animal um, products, right? And cat and, and coffee beans are plants. So, you know, why would it increase the LDL? Um, there's not an increased risk in cardiovascular disease in, in regards to coffee drinkers. So um, I, I think the anti-inflammatory effects of the diterpenes, the um, uh, chlorogenic acid, the trigonellin, all of those things will reduce any cardiac issues. But it was interesting to see that the LDL creeped up a little bit. And I'm not, you know, not really sure why. Um, that occurred, but, um, you know, I drink espressos every day, so <laughs> maybe that's why my LDLs are a little high. Yes, they're well, all fancy. I mean, this, this is probably a completely different conversation in another podcast, but isn't the whole association between cholesterol and, and heart disease a little bit overblown anyway? Yeah. So, um, one of the things that I've done for over 25 years in my practice is I do advanced lipid panels and the advanced lipid panels really give me a great idea of if you're at risk or not. So it helps me risk stratify my patients to let me know how aggressive I need to be at their treatment. Um, and it, treatment is everything from kind of what you're eating, you're exercising, your sleep to natural things. And then, you know, in rare instances, medications. Um, and so one of the things that we know about the, the cholesterol panels, it's really the inflammation that's inside the cholesterol or inside the arteries um, or in your body that are the big triggers for cardiovascular events. So a heart attack and a stroke only occurs when there's an inflammatory process. And we can measure those inflammatory processes, for instance, inside the LDL, there's a marker called oxidized LDL or OxLDL. We can measure the inflammation inside the artery, specific for the artery called LPPLA2, which is an artery inflammation marker. Or we can say, hey, what about general inflammation in the body? And that's the, the, the high-sensitive C-reactive protein. So those are three of the inflammatory markers that I'll look at, for instance, in patients that come in. And if those are low and their LDL cholesterol is a little bit high, I don't. it doesn't really bother me. I'm okay with that. I've seen I've got patients in their 90s that have never had a heart attack or stroke that have high LDL cholesterols, but their inflammation markers are really, really low. Okay. That's actually pretty interesting because yeah. I'm not a big believer in cholesterol being a big risk factor, but it's interesting to know that you yeah. need to also correlate that with inflammatory markers. Well, cool. it's 100%. And then, and the things that drive inflammation is, um, so there are bad fats. Um, like, you know, the trans fats, which are basically if you heat up um, uh, saturated fats, like if you overcook mm -hmm. a steak, for instance, that fat that's on there um, will turn into a trans fat. And a lot of our margarines were based on that. Um, and and those, are, those are just bad inflammatory fats, um, which aren't good for the system. Um, sugar is the other thing that drives a lot of inflammation in the system. And so what happens is 
if you eat a lot of carbohydrates and your body doesn't process them quick enough because of X, Y, or Z reasons, insulin resistance, um, you know, being overweight, um, what happens is, is that the sugar attaches to proteins all throughout your, your system, and those proteins turn into these pro-inflammatory molecules. And one of the markers that we measure in our diabetic patients, and I actually measure this in all of my patients, is a marker called hemoglobin A1C, which is the hemoglobin molecule which carries oxygen. It's how much sugar is attached to it. So it's kind of mm -hmm. like a marker of internal sugarization, but it's a right. three-month average sugar. So if I see those numbers really, really high, I know that's going to be the trigger for the inflammation that's going to cause the heart disease, that's going to promote that. So that's okay. where diet comes in as a, um, you know, a main focus, because if you don't correct that aspect, you're never going to get your cholesterol numbers under, you know, under wraps. Okay. So, you know, so it's not so much sugar. <laughs> it's not so much sugar as it's like how if it's, if you as an individual are eating more sugar than your body's able to quickly metabolize. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So if you're very so, active, um, yeah. you know, you, you can eat a fair amount of carbohydrates. Um, you know, so sugars are carbohydrates and starches. It's all the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we'll classify them as simple or complex. But, um, you know, if you process your carbohydrates, great. And you don't have insulin resistance, um, then, you know, it, it really doesn't matter you know, you're not going to have issues with um, lipid inflammation because you're processing them. You're, you know, the sugars aren't hanging out in your bloodstream for hours, um, attaching to things that shouldn't be attaching to. They're going mm -hmm. right into your muscles to, to be stored as glycogen for fuel the next time you go do your run or you go walk. Right. Sorry, Todd, I, I talked over you there. <laughs> nope, that, that's okay because I'm on, the, I'm on the Indonesian delay here, so I'll never be able to... <laughs> inject at the right time but um um you know ultimately you know we started the conversation with with coffee its benefits the mitochondrial impact of of um you know the promoting healthy healthy mitochondria in the system and and obviously we we naturally digress to a couple of other topics but um i think there's a lot of information packed into this show so uh, I, I don't know how much further you guys wanted to, to continue to talk or save a couple of these um, little gems for the next time we uh, get together here, but uh, I'll, let, I'll let you make that call, Jack. Well, I, I, just a couple other things about coffee. I mean, I think that, you know, when you're looking for coffee, I think getting, you know, a good organic um, single source coffee is, a pro, is, is the best thing. And then how that coffee's processed and roasted will determine those antioxidants. So like when they decaffeinate coffee, you know, they've shown that both decaffeinated and caffeine has those um, cognitive, those, those kind of neural and uh, uh, low infl inflammation effects on the brain. Um, but if you process something too much, um, then, you know, it's not going to be as good. The other thing is, is, you know, all the other stuff that people put in their coffees, like, you know, when I look at what my staff does with their coffee, I mean, I have my coffee you know, pretty much black. Um, I may put um, some MCT in it, or I may put some ketones in it in the morning time. Um, but when I look at my staff and what they get, I mean, it's loaded with sugar and cream. And I'm like, yeah, that's not healthy, <laughs> you know, because you're, you're, you're loading your system up with simple carbohydrates that absolutely can affect that those anti-inflammatory effects and, and, you know, what your body really, really needs. 
Cool. Yeah. The other thing when you're talking about um, organic versus conventional coffee is um, a mold is a problem yes. with conventional coffee, isn't it? And yes, generally or, organic has a, um, a lot lower chance of having those mold problems. Yes, absolutely. You know, and when I first heard about this, it was probably about a decade ago. Um, I didn't realize, I guess the United States doesn't really monitor that, but I think in Europe they do. I'm not sure about Canada. Um, but, and there's actually a coffee place in downtown Jacksonville. And I was spoke to one of the um, my patients that actually worked there. And I said, you know, I, I read about this and heard about this. Is it true? And he's like, you know, absolutely you know, coffee's got a lot of mold when they're roasting it. And so, you know, the mycotoxins, which are, are derived from mold, um, and a lot of people can cause an inflammatory response or, you know, an adverse response to their health. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I definitely believe in organic single source coffee just because of that. Um, you know, I don't want to put anything in my system that isn't clean, that, that may affect my body's ability to run at a high level. Cool. All right. Is uh, you guys got anything else before we sign off for this one? No, that was good. That was All right. that was good uh, talk to you guys. Show. Okay. Awesome. First power up podcast. Yeah, there you go. I'm sure we'll get better at this as we go. We'll get powered Perfect. up from here. <laughs> Todd, yeah, have boy. fun in Bali. That was Thank there. Thank you. Thank you. All right. See you, boys. See you. Take care. Bye, bye.